This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I am your host, Ishmael Johnson, here in studio, burning up in this sauna uh, with Mike Craven. Mike, how are you? Doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, aside from the unbearable heat. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's not unbearable. It just walk just outside. Slightly discomforting. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you guys are so high maintenance. So high maintenance. And oh my that gosh. judgmental voice is Valerie Hartley, <laughs> <laughs> producer so of Malpow. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm doing even better because, you know, it used to be so freaking cold in here. Like, yeah, it used to be... Get, get equipment in here. <laughs> yeah. Cold. So now it feels nice. It's no. a nice, probably good 75 in here. Oh, it so feels I fantastic. Hate, so. I hate the heat. I hate it. <laughs> well, I you hate, live in Texas. <laughs> uh, I hate how, like... And I used to think about this all the time in class, right? It would be cold outside, and you come in and be hot inside. Yeah. So you have, like, all these clothes on, right, but right. Then, it, then it's hot in there. Conversely, it's, like, hot outside, and you walk into a classroom, and it's, like, 60 Freezing. degrees. And it's right. like, well, I didn't bring a sweater. <laughs> right. You know, it's, like, 98 degrees outside. I think we should keep it closer to what it is right, right. outside. Well, so and like it's also vice versa, too. When it's really cold outside, the room is usually steam. 80 just degrees. Steam, right. So you steam. can't right. ever wear the right It feels clothing. hotter. Yeah, because like it when does. it's cold outside, you come in, like it feels warmer. Because yes. it may just be seventy-two degrees in here, but right. it feels warmer. Right, right. So uh, we locking in the viewers right now. Oh my gosh, it's great, right? Oh, Pre-show, AC talk. before the free show. <laughs> so, uh, Mallory, let me know that it is the episode one ninety extravaganza, which is Ooh. of course a milestone everybody celebrates whenever they hit it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so on today's, uh, we decided to do something really special for this occasion. We have decided to have an FBS head coach in our office. By decided, they yes agreed they, yes. to do it. Right. I'm trying to use our sorry, power here. Sorry, Be like we sorry. got him in studio. Sorry, you know. self <laughs> self deprecating right, at exactly. all times. So. Uh, also unrelated, uh, Rhett Lashley is now number one on our power rankings for coaches in the state because he did this. Yeah. So Sorry, you, Joey. I was about to say, <laughs> if you, yeah, if you, hey, you want to come in, we're more than happy to make this more competitive because right now Rhett Lashley's running away with this. I do think we could probably like swing it like when you're in Dallas for recruiting stuff. Ooh. Yeah. You know, come on by. That's the yeah. way I need to start selling that, that thing. Like, that's something. I mean, you, you I'm, would know. I'm, I'm thinking out loud now. Yeah, no, it'd, it'd be perfect. Uh, as you guys know, we've been – Talking to college coaches in between this uh, signing day and, and, and spring camp period while they're, I guess they're probably most at their relaxed, yeah. <laughs> um, kind of not at attention as they are basically every other month of the year. So before spring camp comes out, we're going to try to hit the goal is to get all 12, right? The goal is to get all 12 FBS coaches, maybe get some FCS eventually. You know, we'll probably we'll see what we can do. But the goal is the all, all 12 FBS. And this week is, of course, Rhett Lashley. He was kind enough to stop by the studio. We will talk. Well, we'll switch over to Craven's interview with him, uh, which will probably be up on our YouTube page as well, since it was, um, uh, like I said, was on video. But we'll play the audio portion here. Uh, great interview. Great guy. Like, funny guy. Like, he really is somebody who, once you get him – and I think this is what we're learning about a lot of these coaches. Once you get them off of that football, you know, uh, spokesperson kind of uh, pedestal or kind of like platform, you know, they're all just kind of dudes hanging out. 
And I think Red Lashley, especially having him in person, felt like a guy just kind of hanging out. Yeah, I was telling Mal before we started, like, I don't really root for teams much anymore right. mm-hmm. because this job can kind of beat that out of you a little bit. But I do root for people. It's yes. impossible not to root for people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Rhett Lashley seems like one of those guys that's going to be very easy to root for, for not only people like me and the media, you, but like for fans and stuff mm-hmm. where you get to know him a little bit. And you're like, okay, he's just a normal dude, like 38-year-old dude, you know, right. just like head coach in football, you know, not liking straws. Right. I was, about, <laughs> I was just going to hint at that. So we'll let you, we'll, we'll, we'll hint, uh, you'll listen to the interview towards the end. He gets into his thing about straws, which – was a whole tangent, but uh, it's if you want to hear Coach funny. Lashley just completely crush Craven <laughs> about <laughs> drinking out of a straw, funny, it was a very funny uh, segment that Craven just like credit to you. It was like something he said offhand, and you yeah. were like, "Wait, go back to because he was right. like uh, my wife and I at the movie theater. We uh, we just go no lid because she drinks a straw and I don't. I was like, man, that he was very specific <laughs> to let he us know that sure. he does not drink out of a straw. Like, he wanted us to know that. So, I just thought that was very because we all have yeah. a few like. Things. Little things, Little right? Things right. Like, I just don't do this, right? Right. Yes. So. And it, it's just like, well, that seemed like a thing, you know. Like, let's, <laughs> well, I need to dig into, and I'm nosy, right? You sure. know, which probably makes me decent at this yeah, job. But <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I need to know because I think that's how I asked the question. I was like, I need to know more about that. <laughs> Where did that come <laughs> from? Yeah. So uh, that's towards the end of the interview. Of course, it's almost. Uh, he asked Red Lashley about his career. You know, uh, getting coached by and coaching under Gus Malzahn, things like that. Um, a lot of cool info and stuff. Um, and just kind of what led him to SMU. Uh, but first, before we get into that, we do have some headlines. Uh, not much. We're going to hit on two articles that Craven wrote um, in a bit. But I guess the big news of the last week was the college football playoff uh, announced that they will not expand to 12 teams um, until after – or expand. I don't want to say 12 teams. That was just They won't expand in general until uh, the 12-year contract expires after the 2025 season. Now – don't want to spend too much time on this. It's been in the news, but it, they did confirm that it will remain at four teams. I believe Nicole Auerbach confirmed that, uh, let me see, the vote on TFP expansion, which needed to be an 11-0 vote in order to change the format prior to 2026, was indeed an 8-3 to vote mm-hmm. last month. Uh, the three conferences that held out were the, quote-unquote, alliance of ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12. Um, some people may, some people speculated that that was mostly like, the ACC not wanting to expand and the Alliance voting in line with the ACC to not throw them under the bus because I believe the Pac-12 openly said that they were willing to expand a couple months back. So, Craven, just kind of your overall thoughts from, you know, I mean, if you listen to the show, you know that I, I don't think it's a surprise that neither of us are really, a, uh, any of us are really a fan of the playoff or the format and kind of what it's done to the conversation about college football. Um this really uh, this is not, isn't surprising to me. I always thought they were going to wait out this contract to be like, why would they? There's no downside to me is, is from their point, right? Uh, obviously, more football is better football. I, you know that I get that argument, but if I'm the college football playoff committee, I I'm looking at it like, what's the downside just to holding on for longer? They're still going to watch. And I never had faith in eleven of them agreeing on anything, oh, right? right? Like even out of spite, eight to three right? was wild to me. Yeah, I like, feel like had it had been ten zero, the SEC would have been the one. You know? <laughs> right, and, right, right. And what's funny to me when I heard about it when I read Nicole's uh, report, if anybody needs this thing to expand, it's the Pac-12. Yes, hundred percent. Or the a- or the AACC, right? Yeah. Like the SEC is the one that's fine. They get two teams in there with us every four. single year. Care. Yeah, if it's twelve. They'll just get six teams in there, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, 
Um, it's interesting to me that they're waiting. I do think here's my here's my doomsday scenario for this whole thing. What's stopping the SEC once they add Texas and Oklahoma from just doing their own thing? I was gonna say that there's to me it's not a coincidence that this is waiting until we expect Oklahoma and Texas to be in right. before that, but it's not a coincidence that this is gonna ha- that this might happen when that expands. And when you're the SEC, when it does come back around, yeah. why would you vote yes? Right. Like you have all the power now. That's mm-hmm. fair, right? You know, like because you can be like our our playoff. You just do it like the English Premier League, right? Where it's like our playoff matters more than this other one. Yep. And maybe you could set up something where it's like our champion will now play the rest of the conference's champions or whatever. But you you. What does it matter to them if you cut off the West Coast? They're, mm-hmm. they're already not existent, mm-hmm. right? Maybe Lincoln Riley changes that or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I just I find it fascinating because you feel like on paper, and I know there's a lot going on behind the scenes that maybe we're not aware of, but on paper it feels like some of the conferences that voted no are the ones that need it to expand. And then you had the SEC who doesn't, who's like, sure, we'll, we'll expand it. You know, like there's just more teams in there. And the reason I'm not for the expansion is I just don't, I always get told to me, like, well, you're a G5 guy. Don't you want our teams to have a chance? And it's like, if I believe that to be true, right. then sure, I would expand it. Sure. But I don't think this becomes a thing where you start seeing a Sun Belt champion and a Conference USA champion. No. You're just going to see the fourth-place team fourth place team in the SEC play the third-best team in the Big Ten. Yes. And I don't need that. Like you might I, see a Cincinnati, which we saw this year, mm-hmm. right? and that's it. Like that, If you look at the top 12 the week before, like had there been 12 this year, Cincinnati is the only G5 team getting yes. it. Yes. I don't see there's a way because there's been arguments like, oh, you just have automatic bids. I don't see that there's a way that they argue themselves to the table. Yeah. I don't see why they're like, oh, yes, let's let the Conference USA champion in. Like, hey, there's you needed no to see Utah way. State versus Michigan? No. Nobody needs that. Right. right. Like, I'm a UTSA grad. I don't need to see Alabama beat UTSA. Right. It'll turn into that one versus 16 seed. You know, like <laughs> right. when I was at UTSA, yeah. our basketball team made it to the tournament one time, which I know if you're following UTSA basketball, it doesn't it's seem a, it's a like a possible. Yeah. Doesn't seem like a possible thing to do, but we made it one time, and Stanford beat us by 50 points. Right. right. It wasn't. There was no joy there. <laughs> right. I would have just like had the conference tournament championship and then like play an exhibition against somebody. Right. There was no yeah. like fun in getting beat by 50 points. So I just, I just, if again, if I had more faith that it would give more colleges an opportunity, then sure, I get the expansion. But in my opinion, it's just allowing in Kentucky and Oklahoma State and Iowa and those kind of schools that by the time December comes around, we know that they're not they're on not the same even level contenders. as the top two right. or three or four teams. Like, I don't need to see a Kirk Ferentz coached Iowa team right. <laughs> in a championship. I just don't need it, right? Yeah. And so I, I just don't – I don't know. I, that's where it loses me. It's like on paper I get why people think it would be a cool idea – but in practice, I just think it would be getting us what we see on every Saturday anyway. I mean, you already have some of the top four teams getting blown out by 50 I, I, anyway. I wasn't going to say it. There's Georgia, I wasn't only two really I good was. teams in the country, sometimes three. Yeah. But there's rarely five. I said it so you didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you brought up Michigan State and Michigan. And <laughs> oh, well, we didn't yeah. have to bring Notre up that. But, uh, right. Oh, I'm sorry. You were mentioning Cincinnati? Michigan getting blown out by Georgia. I was thinking of Michigan right. State well, getting but blown out by Alabama. It's another good example. You know, they're top 10 teams, but they're still getting blown out by 50. So why do we need to see a Conference USA play the champion of the there, SEC. Right. I was about, like, there are three contenders probably a year. Yep. Right. Right. Because we always see it when the the fourth team just gets exposed. And, right. You know, I get the idea of wanting more football, right? Sure. Cool. Right. You want people that, in theory, you want everybody to have a shot. And I guess the argument is that if there are more chances for the playoff recruiting balances, I don't see that argument really. I don't think if there's 12 teams that Oklahoma State's going to get so much better like i just i just don't see there's that. only so many guys there's only so many mm-hmm. guys and like 
as we've seen with Alabama, like we'll see one, a couple guys transfer maybe, but like they're wait, they'll wait their turn. Like five stars will wait their turn to be like, yeah, okay, I'll wait here for like right. Bryce Young. He's like, yeah, I'll just wait for Mac Jones to leave. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need to transfer or like be somewhere and be the dude or whatever. He'll if they know that someplace is gonna get him to the league or someplace is gonna get him to the playoff, they're just gonna do it and they're just gonna take that chance. So. And you got the NIL stuff now. Yeah, that mm-hmm. it's like Alabama can offer you a bunch of money to sit there and wait, <laughs> right? Or you can go start somewhere and not make any money, right? Right. So like, why why would you why would you do that? And this isn't basketball, or right? Even Yes. baseball where a couple guys can swing this type of thing right like mm-hmm. you need a bunch of people like you, like you need like eight <laughs> like you need like 40 eight. players yes. you know like and so right and I these think kids know that and that's why these recruit like a&m signed a great class this year mm-hmm. and it's because a couple big time guys got on board and then the other big time guys go well if we all go to the same uh-huh. school right. then we can win but if two of those go here and two of them go here and two of them go here that doesn't that doesn't do anything for anybody right um and so yeah, I just I don't I don't see it and it's just it's just what football is. Yeah. There's yeah. just not enough six, seven, three hundred pound dudes to be competitive throughout the right? You can have a really good quarterback, you can have a really good wide receiver, you can have a top round pick, you know, linebacker or mm-hmm. something like that. But you're probably not gonna have the offensive and defensive line to compete with the best teams. Right. And that's because there's only so many humans made like that. Mm-hmm. And you just you're gonna run out of them. Texas State's never gonna have them. Mm-hmm. They're just never going to have seven of those dudes to compete against Alabama. Texas doesn't have I was about to say, seven yeah, of those right. dudes one right now. to compete against Alabama. So I, it's just it's football is a completely different sport, and we need to stop treating it like all the other sports. And I also wish yeah. that we didn't have this like tournament obsession where oh, yeah. what we consider the champion or the best is it's who's soccer, playing the best at a certain in time. Us, in us that we right. just don't like that. But it's, I want to know who won. Like, I've always said in basketball, I think the regular season conference champion should get the automatic bid, not the tournament yep. champion. Because yeah. one is about being better consistently for a long period of time, and the other one's just being hot. Yeah. Right. Getting You're exactly right. right. And we, re- we reward champions in this country for being hot, not for being the best. I was going to say Mallory would know because UNT probably wasn't the best conference USA team last year. No, right? uh, the regular season, right? I the, believe who, who it, won the regular season last year? I believe team? was it Western Kentucky. I think it might have been Western Kentucky. Yeah, UNT got hot, right? Right. Now UNT is the this year UNT is the best team in, in men's basketball in the conference USA by a long shot, and they still got to make like they 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 could probably get an automatic bid if they remain top. I think right. top 40-ish or whatever, but there's still a chance they can get knocked out in the first round. In the Absolutely. Con- I mean, if you play another UAB again, I mean, I don't want to go off on a sure. basketball no, t- no, yeah, tangent, but yeah, if you play UAB again, both of those games were decided by one point. Right. So it's no, like anything I, can happen in something like, like that. Yeah. But football's just not like that. You can't. You can't have. Yeah, right. You, you can't have that same system in college football than you do college basketball, college right. baseball. There's and just that, not enough variety. You know? Yeah. And that's to say, like the the tournament format. I agree. Like tournament format is. I, I don't. It's it's the it's the the drama of it, right? It's the, fun. It's it's the, it is. it's the it's all about the anything can happen kind of thing. But the problem is, like we mentioned, that doesn't always happen in football. Like yeah. <laughs> that's not how this works. In the NFL, it works because everybody's a big, pro. Yeah. and everybody's, everyone's huge. <laughs> yeah, everyone's huge. Everyone's in the league. Blah blah blah. If you're in the playoffs, you're more than likely pretty good. But um, yeah. And there's still not a lot of parity there. No. If you don't have a quarterback, you stink. Well, they expanded the playoffs this year in the NFL, and, like, all the last seeds got destroyed. Like, all the, yeah. new, the, the new teams that would have not been in last year got killed in the first yeah. game. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Craven had – he's doing a uh, – are you doing more of these? How many more of these are you doing? I'm doing every position. Okay, so he's doing little top tens of, uh, of uh, positions in the state. Uh, he's done quarterbacks and running backs. Go check them out on TexasFootball.com. 
we'll dissect these a little bit again wanna uh we gotta we gotta pay bills so go drive uh, traffic to the site um quarterback one thing i wanted to ask you about because we are in the middle of magazine season or kind of on the, on the middle uh in the beginning your top three quarterbacks uh three frank harris utsa two tanner mordecai smu one clayton toon houston they they letting you back. They letting you back in uh, UTSA for putting. You, I may back. have gotten a DM from one of the quarterbacks mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if I'm allowed back in San Antonio once this magazine publishes, <laughs> will be will be iffy. Yeah, will be iffy. But it's tough, man. It's tough because those three guys are worthy of being mm -hmm. in the magazine sure. as like a first or second team, but one of them has to be led off. So is it team success, right? Because if it's team success, then Clayton Toon and Frank Harris probably have the inside advantage as, as teams that won 12 games last year. Mm -hmm. Is it just numbers? Tanner Mordecai should be first team all Texas cinch mm -hmm. if it's just right. numbers because he put up video game numbers. Mm -hmm. Is it projecting for next year? Well, UTSA is probably not going to be as good as they were the year before because right. Sincere McCormick's gone, Clarence Hicks is gone. They have a tougher non-conference non schedule. So there's just a lot of variables and like, how do you grade it? Uh, I, I guess I'm looking at it like a draft. Mm -hmm. If I was to sure. draft uh, on this top 10 thing, not sure, the magazine sure. deal, right, but right. this Texas 10 deal, I'm trying to look at it like if I'm drafting each position, who would I take one? And I really think right now I would take Clayton Toon number one, mm. I would take Tanner Mordecai number two, and I would take Frank Harris number three. And that's just as honest as I can be about it, I think. Yeah. What outside of the top three was your most difficult – thing to to list number four should it be somebody who's putting up numbers before i was, ju I yeah. was just about or, to say number four so or like quinn ewers yes yes right because yes. like and this is the recruiting guy in me i've sat there and watched quinn ewers play yes. a couple times on the sidelines and the ball comes out differently from his hand than not maybe anybody other than trevor lawrence that mm. i've ever like seen at that level or right. whatever he has the chance to be the best quarterback in the state. Like yeah. talent-wise, mm -hmm. there's a reason that he was a five-star guy and number one in this class and reclassified and got to Ohio State. So it was like, do I pick somebody that's put up some numbers, like numbers and has already proven it at the college level, or do I go with somebody like Quinn Ewers? What made me feel a little bit better about it is like there wasn't a clear number four guy after mm -hmm. those top three. Mm -hmm. Like Haynes King was injured last year. Max Duggan's been injured before. Gary Bohannon at Baylor was injured. Like there was a lot of reasons to not just have somebody like locked into the fourth mm -hmm. spot. So it was like, again, I'm going to go back to the draft thing. Mm -hmm. If I'm drafting quarterbacks after those top three are gone, if you give me the fourth pick, I'm picking Quinn Ewers. Sure. Sure. Uh, moving on to running backs. Uh, this one, I mean, we talked about the talent in the state with running backs. I, I, Feel like this one wasn't as hard. Would you, do, do, would you agree with that? Like, uh, yeah, it only got hard. Like, it only got hard at like the ninth, tenth spot. Right. Mm -hmm. I would say Bijan uh, Robinson number one, Devon Chain number two, and Alden McCaskill number three. I don't think that there's one. I think those are the three best running backs in the state, and I don't think there's an argument as far as order yeah. goes either. I, I think when you you list you list as Bentley at four, I don't think you get an argument either there. You right, know, yeah, so I, I do. I think like for magazine purposes, again, like picking those four is going to be pretty easy. Yeah, uh, and that's going to be a lot easier thing. It was, uh, you know, once you get into like, you know, North Texas, they're graduating their main guy. Mm -hmm. UTSA, they're graduating their main guy. Texas State, I don't know if you would consider Brock Sturgis last year to be the main guy, but he that's who I kind of thought who the, was going to be the, the sure. main guy going into the year. Sure. And then Calvin Hill kind of became that dude. Uh, and so it's like different places like that, like tech, uh, UTEP. Who's going to have the bigger season if both of them are healthy at the same time? At Texas Tech, who's going to have the bigger season uh, if if Sharajic Thompson and Taj Brooks are healthy at the same time? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was that that became the more difficult spot. I almost thought about doing it like as a backfield, like a stable, like, who like has a the best backfield, backfield <laughs> yeah. right? 
Uh, and the answer still would have been Texas because sure. Rashawn Johnson's one of the top ten running backs in, in the state on his own, and he's a backup. So, yeah, it uh, it got weird. I think offensive line is going to be the toughest. Yeah. Uh, because it's like a unit. Sure. Right. It's hard to separate them into individuals. Um, yeah. You know, North Texas had a great rushing year last year. Which of their which of their guys should be on the list, mm-hmm. right? And so that that's where I think it's going to get pretty hard. Mm-hmm. But that'll happen this week. What's the next position? Wide receivers? Wide receiver come out Wednesday, okay. O-line Thursday, tight ends Friday. Then I'm on vacation, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then we'll do defense when I get back. And okay. then pretty much everybody's spring practice should be started by, by mid by mid-March. Awesome. So, like I said, go check out those articles on techscopa.com. Uh, send all your complaints to Mike Craven <laughs> or the or send the main account. I love know. a good listicle. Yeah, no, it's great, right? Like, it, gets, I, it, gets, it gets the it gets the off season content. Yeah. I rely on top ten lists. It gets quarterbacks in yeah. DMs. Long. Yep, <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> if you want up. a quarterback hey, in your DMs, <laughs> hey man, just uh, what's up with this? <laughs> How can I be the offensive player of the year <laughs> <laughs> and the third best quarterback in the state? To which I can reply, "That's a great question." <laughs> Anyway, oh man, uh, I don't know how to transition from that. I was, I was trying to figure out a way, but I was like, I got Speaking nothing. of quarterbacks. There you go. Speaking of yeah. quarterbacks, a uh, former quarterback and a current quarterback guru of some sorts, probably in his own right. Uh, we mentioned it. Red Lashley came into the studio earlier today. We're recording this on Tuesday. Um, I guess the, the, this is like the big hashtag Tuesday since it's 22, whatever. Anyway, I'm not doing that. Um, so... We're going to transition to that. Like I said, these are interviews more about the life, the upbringing, kind of what they're what what these coaches are like in their spare time. Um, and yeah, it was about a 20, 30 minute conversation. Something really, really pretty cool. Uh, thanks again to Coach Rash, uh, Lashley for coming in. And if anybody else, any other FBS head coach wants to wants come on to down, come we'll, on we'll down. Take coordinators, we'll open. take assistant coaches. We'll we do will absolutely shamelessly beg to get open in. open for business here. <laughs> open for business right here so without further ado here's mike craven with smu head coach rhett lashley mike craven here dave campbell's with head coach of smu football rhett lashley coach thank you for coming in thanks for having me uh first off the first question i wanted to ask you you were a quarterback in high school how early on in your life did you graduate or gra- gravitate to being a quarterback and what was it about the position that kind of like made you go okay i'm gonna play that yeah um well Started playing football in first grade in Springdale, Arkansas. Start really early, tackle football. Get to play a couple games a year, it was awesome. And by the time I got to third grade, I was a, I was a defensive end and a running back. Okay. By the time I got to third grade, we wanted to throw a pass. And I guess whoever play, playing quarterback couldn't throw, so we ran a halfback pass and I threw it. And then I guess by fourth grade, they decided just to put me at quarterback. And so um, I played quarterback ever since then. And, Really grew up, uh, believe it or not, I grew up, fell in love. I loved watching Joe Montana play and Bill Walsh call plays. So, um, you know, just watching him play and um, when they were in their prime and, and playing it myself. And I just, uh, I love to compete. I liked all sports, but I really enjoyed football. And uh, I guess I was okay at it and off it went. When did football become kind of the number one focus for you sports-wise? <sighs> Probably somewhere around... Um, my eighth or ninth grade year. Okay. Um, that's when I stopped playing baseball. Uh, I continued to play basketball and run track and, and play golf, but I really kind of zeroed in on that. And, and really coincided about the time Gus Malzahn came to my high school. Gus became the high school coach at Shiloh when I was in seventh grade. Uh, we had a really good class. My grade was good. And so we went undefeated my seventh grade year. And then my eighth grade year was when Gus, after his first year at Shiloh, decided to start running a no-huddle offense. 
a lot of people don't know, the first year we weren't no huddle. Gus came, he was a kind of a wing T guy, and I decided, nope, we're going to be a no huddle team. So he put in the no huddle system for our high school, and in eighth grade we started running no huddle, which was incredibly awesome. And um, so we no huddled my eighth and ninth grade year, but I think probably him coming in did a couple things. It, it, it made our entire class, but really get serious about football. So it probably helped me realize this is maybe what I could be good at and want to do. But I think he just helped make it um, a priority for us. And so I would say it probably has a lot to do with, with him coming to our school when it really became kind of maybe my main focus. How important was that for you, just like in the trajectory of your life? You get like a future, you know, great coach in college to come, you know, be your high school coach. Like as the quarterback, how, how much of a gift was that for you? Well, I don't think any of us knew at the time he hadn't really won anything, you know, right. and he'd be the first to tell you that. But it was huge. It was, it, the thing he did for me, and I know so many others, and, and, and a lot of people's high school coaches did for him, and it's, it's the reason I coach and a lot of other people do, is he had an ability to um, help you be better than you could be on your own, you know, and, and get the best out of you. And so um, for me it was huge, not just the he, – he'll tell you, he played receiver and was a punter. He wasn't a quarterback guru. <laughs> But just the detail with which he coached everything, and since I was playing quarterback, I was coached in detail for what we did on offense, uh, I think just it demanded your best. You know, I always use this saying, I, I could be 9 for 10, which is pretty good, you know, and he is always pinpointing that one I missed, and he was always coaching that one, and he'd be screaming, you're killing us. I'm like, I'm 9 for 10, you know. <laughs> but uh, he had a way of making you always focus on where you could be better, and uh, I think that had a lot to do with, with me as a player, but obviously as a coach as well. That was going to be my next question. You went 43-2 and two yep. in your high school career, a couple state title games. I was going to, I was going to ask, did the two state titles matter more than that one that you lost? Like, which one do you think about? I think about the one we lost. Yeah. That's it. You yeah. know, uh, I was fortunate from my ninth grade year on up. I wasn't the starters ninth grader, but we played in the state championship game all four years. And uh, one is when I was a ninth grader, and then my first year as a starter, we won it as a sophomore. Went my junior year. We were the best team. We should have won. One of those deals, we played a good team. They played well, we didn't play great, and goes to overtime, we scored. They score, go for two and make it and win, you know? And all I ever forget is, you know, two missed throws I made in that game and a muff punt I had that would have kept it from even going to overtime, you know? And so, um, fortunately for me, we were able to win it my senior year, but it's wild. I mean, for you to say that record, I only forget about, I mean, I only think about the losses. It's just, it's just what kind of triggers in your brain. Then you go to Arkansas uh, to play. Kind of how was there any recruiting pitch needed for that, or was that if you got a chance to go to Arkansas, you're going to Arkansas? Yeah, I, you know, I I was open to going other places. I did grow up in Arkansas, and as most people know, that's it's the only show in town. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not another major Division One university. There's no pro teams, so everybody loves the Razorbacks in all sports. And so, uh, yeah, I grew up dreaming to play there. But um, when I started having success my sophomore and junior year, there was other options, and then you know my senior year. A lot of people, my second game of the year, I dislocated my shoulder. Okay. And I played the entire senior year, uh, actually dislocated my shoulder four times that year. And if I'd have done it again, I wouldn't have made it through the season. But luckily, the last one happened before the last game. And so uh, I ended up having to have sur shoulder surgery right after the season. And so it just ended up being easier to stay home. I don't know if I would have done that still, might have, but that ended up being the right decision for me because I was going to enter my freshman year in the rehab team anyways. Right. And so it just, it just worked out that way. Uh, after, after college, you were a GA there at Arkansas. Could you tell the story about turning down Gus Malzahn at Tulsa <laughs> and kind of what that led to, kind of like outside of life for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, so I got a great opportunity in 2006 to be a GA at Arkansas for Houston Nutt, who was my head coach. And 
Gus, who was the OC there, who had been my other head coach. And so it was like the perfect storm. We had Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, Peyton Hillis, all those guys. We win 10 games. We win the SEC West. I mean, it was an incredible year. And um, there's a whole other <laughs> things going on, but Gus decides to go to Tulsa uh, with Todd Graham mm -hmm. uh, to be the OC, uh, to be able to run kind of the no-huddle offense and do what he wants to do. He said, hey, you're coming with us. You're going to still be a GA, but you get to coach the running backs. I'm like, that's fantastic. Like, that's – it's a no-brainer. In your second year in the business, like, anybody would want to do it. And I go over there, and he does his press conference. Long story short, after one day, we were driving back to Northwest Arkansas, and just – there was this thing in my gut that just said, this isn't right for me. And I – to this day, I think I know why, but I still can't really explain it other than I just trust my gut. Um, and I so I called him – the next day and just said, hey, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do this. And he didn't like hearing that. And after about three or four days of him telling me to keep thinking about it, I just said, look, I'm not going to do it. I know it's crazy. I know I'm ending any opportunity I ever have to be a college coach. I know I'm burning a bridge with you. Like, none of this makes sense. I get it. My dad doesn't like me. My mom doesn't. Nobody agrees with me. And I'm getting married. My fiance, she doesn't really know. But I don't think she agrees with me. And, um, but I'm just not going to do it. And he said, okay. And uh, said no, and I didn't go. So you kind of did our thing for a little while. That's when I, I, I realized about a week later, I woke up I'm like, you know, I made the right decision. That's what I got to get a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, I did. My, my brother-in-law knew a guy in Tulsa, and High School Sports the Magazine had begun. It ended up becoming Vibe. And, you know, I was an Arkansas guy and said, let's get it into Arkansas. So we took and ran with it in the state of Arkansas. More stressful closing a deal on the marketing side like that or calling plays on a Saturday? Oh, definitely closing a deal. You know, <laughs> I want it real quick. Yeah, if you don't have a pen, you're broke, first of all. <laughs> all right. And um, I'm just telling you, there's just a different deal when you go ask somebody for money. Yeah. You know, and uh, I didn't have any control over their response. At least calling the plays on Saturday, it may not work, but I feel like I got a little bit of control over it. Speaking of not having control, you have two sets of twins. Mm -hmm. And I looked that up. That is a one in 3,000. Chance, 3001 uh, right. which is you. the same as getting struck by lightning did you look up what three sets of twins is no are you going for that no. that, was, that was the question I, I written, no. wrote down right here it are was, you done with twins <laughs> oh yeah um no so would you rather be struck by lightning <laughs> depends on which day you catch right. me on. yeah uh, imagine so. i will plead the fifth on that one um no we looked it up once we realized we were having two and it's three thousand to one because everybody kept asking us what's the odds right. of that so then i started thinking well we're two for two, like, what's the odds of three sets? And I looked that up, it's 500,000 to one. Oh my God. We were not taking those chances. Right. We felt pretty good about ourselves right then. So we were done at four, and, and, but we're really blessed. We got, we got two sets, two boys that are 11 and two girls that are almost six. And there's never a dull moment. I we, would imagine so. You know, we say we made a zoo. <laughs> and uh, everything's two by two in our world. So you're retired at that, you're retired after that one. Yeah, and it was funny, my wife, my wife was the one most on board with being good with the four and like a couple months after the girls were born I remember her saying you know I, I mean I could do another I mean what's one more and I said five <laughs> you know <laughs> like we're not doing the basketball thing right so. right, right well on your track right have been six that's or seven <laughs> like you gotta start after your second set you start thinking we could hit triplets sure you know I mean sure so because we definitely weren't hitting singles <laughs> Speaking of hitting, I heard during uh, the pandemic you coached some Little League baseball. I did. Kind of how did that come about and what kind of fulfillment did you get um, from that? That's actually one of the coolest things I've got to do. So we're in Miami um, and the pandemic hits 
Oh, this was actually after the first year, right? And so we have our first season at Miami. We're about to start the second season. Well, in Miami, they start rec baseball like at the end of January. Because uh, the weather's okay. Yeah, which is, I thought was weird, but it's pretty normal there, right? And so my boys are going to play in the league. They'd played on a summer team with some people we'd met. And so, and, and one of the, the guy who was their coach, he coaches in the rec league, great guy. So I take him to like the Tuesday night tryouts. And you just go try out, they give you a rating, and then they have a draft, right? Well, I meet the guy who runs the league, says hi, whatever. I don't think of that, but I'm at work the next day on Wednesday, and I get an email from him. Hey, uh, would you mind coaching a team? And I'm like, why would I coach a team? Yeah. But then it dawned on me, I thought for a second, I thought, well, we can't spring recruit this year. This may be the only chance I ever get to do something like this. So I called my wife and said, when you pick the boys up from school today, just ask them. Would they want me to coach them or not? Because if they say no, I'm not going to do it. Mm. I didn't know how they'd feel about it. And she called me back and said, they definitely want you to coach them. And uh, so I called the guy and said, sure, uh, I'll do it. I called him at like 4 o'clock and said, sure, I'll do it. I don't know, you know, I may miss a Saturday here or there because we have a spring practice or whatnot, but we talked through the logistics. He's like, hey, we'll work it out. You'll have an assistant. said, very good. All right. And they go, well, what do I need to know? He goes, well, the draft's tonight at 7. <laughs> what? So I go to the draft. I don't know what I'm doing. I got new guide and everything, but I got to coach my boys, and it was it was really really cool. How did you have to change your coaching style, right, from coaching college kids to coaching 11 year olds? I'd imagine that's a little bit different communication yeah. skill yeah. set. Couldn't yell as much. Uh, the moms out there don't like that. Um, had to be very positive, but luckily I'm a positive person anyways. No, it it was kind of cool. I mean, it really was. It was different, but it was good for me. Um, it, it was um, it was just a really neat experience. Like I said, got, we had like 12 kids on our team. They were all, um, I guess they would have been fourth graders, um, and uh, fourth or fifth, and yeah, we had a blast. We did okay too. We, we had a winning record. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, what was it, what's it like to call plays for the first time? Do you remember like the first your first like set of series as an offensive play caller? Maybe like the first couple plays you call. Like what was that week like? Uh, it was nerve-wracking. So I got hired. Um, we won the national title of Auburn in 2010, and Pat Sullivan hired me at Samford in Birmingham to be his OC. I was 27 years old, and I mean, I went straight from GA to OC. Had no business. I didn't even get to like learn how to recruit a position or anything. It's like boom. It's like man, this is awesome. It was. He was crazy for hiring me, but it was awesome, right? And um, so I get there, and and so we go through spring, the summer. Well. We just so happened to be leading off the season with, at that point in time, the number one team in FCS, Georgia Southern. They were still FCS. They were number one every year. And so we're playing them at our place, game one. And that's who I got to call plays against for the first time. And they were a lot better than us. <laughs> and uh, so I don't remember the nerves for that game, to be honest with you. I, I've never been a big nerves guy. I mean, I'm, I get anxious. I think everybody else does. I think Peyton, Man Peyton Manning may have said it once. Like, you're only nervous if you're not prepared. You know, now, being anxious to get it started, I'm a lot, when I call a game or coach a game, just like when I was a player, you're excited about it. I hate pregame warm-ups. I hated the two hours before a game as a player. It's like, can we just go play? I hate it as a coach. You got to, the bus has got to show up and you got to give them an hour to get taped. And then you got to go out and dance around and warm up. And then the band plays and like, can we just play? Like the old school of, can we put our pads on, have our shoulder pads on the yellow bus, and pull up, yeah. pop out, stretch and play. I know that's not how the game's done. And so, but I think that's because you're just ready to play. Right. And uh, so once the first ball is kicked or snapped, or once I always had the first play as a player, I was good. It, it's no different as a coach. As soon as it kicks off, you settle in, you lock in, and you know, I don't, at least for me, nerves don't ever factor into it because you're just so in the moment. 
Do you call plays in the way that you think you would have when you were like 20, 20 years Because I would imagine at some point in your life, right, you're like, you're a quarterback, so you're thinking about how yeah. plays are called. Like, is there anything different about what you thought it was going to be compared to like what it actually is once yeah. you start doing it? Yeah. Growing up, I thought I was really good at the game, right. NCAA. Right. Played Madden too, but like the college version more. And, uh, you know, so I felt pretty good about that. <clears throat> um, then I played the game. It's a little different. Then you start calling it. It, it is. Um, I don't think anybody understands how quickly decisions have to be made. And, you know, when you're a fan of the game, you sit and you watch and you're like, play ends, you're like, oh, they should have done this. And there's a 30-second window, or hopefully if we're playing, there's like a 15 to 20-second window, and the ball's being snapped again. But that's when it's being snapped again. There's a 40-second play clock. So at best, you've got like a 30 to 40-second window for a lot of things to happen to get the next play snapped. It just happens so fast, and I think – um, that's the thing I don't people understand. You have to have a plan. You have to be thinking ahead. You have to react. You have to think on your feet. Because you run a play, and the next, very next play, the down-distance situation, you just found it out, and you may have 10 seconds to make a decision right. to get the play in, to then get it ran in that scenario. And a lot of times those plays can be the, game, the plays that are, at some point, it's the critical play of the game, this or that. It just happens so fast. And so um, what I've learned, you have to – you have to have a system. You have to really believe in what you do. You have to learn your players, know what they can do. Each year's different, um, and each game's different. You know, some games, the way the game's flowing, you're going to be more aggressive in a certain situation. Some games, the way the game's flowing, you're going to be more conservative. And you have to feel the game out. And, and like I said, it's just you can't just say it's this or this because the situations are always changing and the variables are always changing. And so those are things I wouldn't have ever expected. How good was Cam Newton? Right, like, yeah. I mean, like, being around him on the sidelines, like, seeing it, like, one, how big, I mean, I've seen him at a camp, and he's, like, huge, a lot yeah. bigger than I thought he was going to be. But, like, how quickly does a guy like that kind of take over a program and you go, okay, that's our dude? Yeah, immediately, you know. He had a presence. Um, you know, the camp, obviously, he's had his NFL career, and, you know, he dresses the way he does and all that now. The camp I knew, I mean, he was the hardest worker on the team. He, he, he was no nonsense. He studied more film than anybody on the team. He drug people out to throw with him. He was the unquestioned leader. They would follow him anywhere. They believed in him totally. Incredible competitor. And on game day, he was just a big kid playing the game he loved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then when he got to the NFL, he was allowed to celebrate and all those other things, and it, it kind of grew into a life of its own. But he just loved to play the game. But there, there are a few people, I mean, if you get to coach or play or cover it long enough, you'll, there's a few players that you'll just go, you can feel them. And you can just like, they make you go wow in the middle of the game. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the few that, I mean, some of the things he did that year, I remember several times in the headset, we'd just say, wow, oh, we, we got to run the next play or whatever. Like, you kind of, you literally find yourself like in awe watching them as they're playing, and they just make it look so easy. But he was, he was so physically powerful, it was, it's really hard to put into words. You were at SMU for a couple of years as the offensive coordinator. I'm curious kind of what you took from Sonny Dykes, who's also a play caller and somebody who's, you know, an offensive guy. Like, how much did his philosophy kind of meld into yours? You know, I, I, the thing I learned from Sonny is um, Sonny was real particular with wide receiver play. That was kind of his niche. And so uh, I was able to pick up some good details from him on, on little things of receiver play. I was a quarterback, and I think it's stuff that – uh, maybe they did in the air raid, just the way they taught the receivers and those that I really liked. Um, the thing I always appreciated about Sonny is, you know, is known as an offensive guy. You normally think if you come in as an offensive coach that they're going to be micromanaging, they're going to have their hand. 
Sonny freed me up. He let me do, he let me run the offense. He let me coach. He let me run the staff. He let me call the plays. He never once came in and said, no, you need to do this. You need to do that. And I always appreciated that from him because, um, you know, I think he allowed me to develop as a coach. I think he allowed me to, he never once came in and said, I need you to run the air raid. Like he never did any of that. And uh, I really appreciate him for that because uh, he allowed me to be me. He allowed our staff um, to buy into what I was leading them to do. He allowed our players to buy into it because there was never any, um, you know, there was never any tension there. He was always very supportive. Uh, he was great on game days. You know, he, at times he'd say, hey, stay aggressive or, um, you know, those kind of things. And, and that was it. He really does a really good job of letting his coaches coach. And I think that's uh, a really big strength of his. You went on to Miami to, to be the OC there for a couple of years. Who's the most famous person you ran into during your time at Miami? I'd imagine like USC and Miami seem like those kind of programs. Yeah, I mean, it's, like there's, there's like a long list here. Right. I mean, I worked with Ed Reed the whole time I was there. Yeah, that's so it, it best became, safety of all time. Like, it was Ed Reed. Now it was like, hey, Ed, what's up? You know, right. it, it took a while to get used to that. Um, you know, Alex Rodriguez was at games a lot, came to baseball games, and Ray Lewis and J-Lo was at some games to – to hang out with me and um, <laughs> no I mean so like it was just non-stop yeah. you know um, so it's hard to, to I mean Michael Irvin came to all our camps I mean it was it was pretty cool because like you said at that place it's been the who's who and uh, just at, at the U in general much less just being in the city of Miami um, but it was a neat experience. Is that hard as a college coach to coach at a place where there's so many distractions right like Tuscaloosa Alabama like what are you going to go do? Yeah. Right. Like in Miami, there's a lot of things you can go. Yeah, I, I think I don't know if it's hard as the coach, but sometimes it's hard because it, you know it's harder on the kids. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like hard to like kind of keep them. Yeah. Like in Tuscaloosa, your point, they don't get as mad when they have to work out all the time because what else are they going to do? Right. Well, if you try to do that in Miami, like, well, hey, there's, there's the beach or there's this or there's that or, you know, and so and we did say that times that's that's one of the blessings and the curses of being there is, you know, everyone has it so good. At the same time, everyone has it so good, and, and sometimes that can allow guys to become complacent and maybe, uh, maybe not work as hard as they would. Mm -hmm. And so we always try to fight against that. You get the opportunity to come back to Dallas. I know you kind of talked to Sonny a little bit about the job and stuff. Was it a no-brainer to you? Or, you know, we talked about how young you were when you got the OC job. Was there a little bit of like, am I ready for this? Like, how do you kind of go about the confidence that you need to be yeah. a first-year head coach? No, no, it was a no-brainer. And, um, you know, I... I was 27 back when I got that OC job, like we talked about. Um, but now, you know, fast forward, I've been an OC for 11 years and uh, been at some really good places. I've been blessed to be with really good people, um, you know. And so I think all those experiences and even opportunities at times where either I almost got a head job and didn't get it or maybe had the opportunity to take one and didn't and all in between, sometimes you're unsure, prepared me for, for the moment to one, I knew SMU is a great, great place to be. I knew I wanted to be in Dallas. I'd love to raise my family here. So it was a no-brainer on SMU and the job, but, but it also just was the right timing. And for me, yeah, there was 100% peace and confidence. I was never worried, well, are you ready? Are you this? Look, I've been married and I've had two sets of twins and you're never totally ready for that either, right? right? And um, they don't give you a manual for either one of those. It's no different than, than being a head coach. You know, you know there's gonna be things on the other side of that that you, weren't expecting, weren't ready for, that's what's exciting to me. Like, that's what living is, that's what leading is, that's what the job is, is every day is a bunch of problems. Right. You just don't look at it that way. You just look at, hey, this is just what we get to deal with today. And um, 
so I was, I was fired up at the opportunity. I was always hopeful that this would be an opportunity one day and, uh, and really thankful it was. When I came and interviewed you on the early National Science Period thing, you were in the office and it was basically just you and a skillet. That was about all yep. that was in that office. Have you been able to like hang anything <laughs> up or have any, have make it a little bit more homey yeah. at all? I didn't even know what my name was when I saw you at that point. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not been made homey yet, um, but it is a little different. And uh, my wife still got to come in and, and do some things, but um, there's a whole lot more people there now. And uh, we're a lot more stable than we were. And we got our staff hired and other people there and that's good, but the skillet is still in there. Nice. And you said you were drinking through like three fire hoses when we talked, has it gotten down to one yet? Has, I, mean, I think it expanded to five or six. <laughs> okay. And, and now it's probably just back to two or three. Okay. But I think I got a rhythm. Like I'm used to like, okay, right. you know, got two a routine or three is no big bit. deal. Yeah. Right, right, right. So. Uh, with spring football coming up, what are some goals in that first spring? Like, how much of the offense do you try to get? Like, what, what are, yeah. like, when you exit out of spring, what are two or three things that you hope the team has kind of picked up or done? Or you Yeah, know? No, that's a great question. I think, you know, especially in a brand-new spring, you know, first and foremost, as coaches, we want to continue to connect and develop relationships with our players. We've started doing that now, but then when you get on the field, that's just another layer of that. And so I think we have to continue to connect with our players. We've got to come out of spring going, we made a connection with our guys. They trust us. Um, they'll allow us to coach them. Um, and, and they believe in what we're trying to do. I think, you know, it, from a X's and O's standpoint, no, you're not trying to get your entire offense and defensive end. They're, you know, we'll do base football. We'll do some third down red zone. We won't, we won't worry about end of game situations. We won't worry about all kinds of things that we'll have to in fall camp. Um, you just want your defense, your offense, and special teams to some degree to just have a good base understanding of what your philosophy is, what your identity is, and, and what's the foundation of your offense and defense going to be. Um, so I think that's what you want. And then as a coaching staff too, you're learning those players. Mm -hmm. And you want to learn what do they do well, what do they not do well, what do they need to improve on. So now when you start thinking going into the summer, what can we work on and getting ready for fall camp and building now towards the season, okay, what's the identity of this team going to look like? Because every team's different, and you got to do what your players can do within your system, and uh, and start to then build it for the fall and say, okay, this is the direction we could see this team going with the personnel we have, and and now we have more uh, questions answered. So there's a lot of information being gathered, them on us, us on them, but that's the biggest thing. You just want a good foundation, and you want to have a connected football team when you come out of that thing. Every first-year head coach I've talked to has talked about putting together the staff being one of the more difficult or challenging things. How did you go about that? And it does seem like there's a lot of like familiarity within the yep. staff. How much will that help in that first-year transition, like where you don't have to do so much of coaching the coaches, I yeah. guess? Well, I want to take my time. I, I wanted to get it right more than get it fast. I wanted to get the right people. I, I just feel like, I feel like life's about people. That's all we do every day is deal with people. And um, it's going to be no different in our, in our program every day. Our players, our coaches, we're, we're all people working together. So I felt like getting the right people that I felt fit, uh, the culture we want to have um, the, would be good for our players. I, I felt like that was the most important thing. So if it happened quick, great. A couple of the hires happened real quick. And, and a couple I had to wait on um, because maybe they were finishing a bowl game or getting out of a contract here or this or that. And a couple that by waiting in general and not rushing, guys popped up that I didn't think would have the opportunity to hire. Yeah. And so um, I just wanted to take my time and get it right. And if it happened really fast, great. And if it didn't, I, I wanted to get it right. And so, um, you know, I think one of the things I learned in the first few weeks on the job and a couple of coaches who had done it before had told me, but 
it was never more true than when I was actually doing the job is, you know, you have to make decisions fast all the time as a head coach. Mm -hmm. Every day, you got to make them right now. You got to be willing to do that. But there are times where maybe you don't have to make the decision right now. When you get those times, take all the time you can. Like, don't feel like you have to still make a fast decision. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. And so I think waiting on some things allowed us to get, I think, the right people in place. Um, so I feel really good about who we have. I think, to your point, um, there is a lot of familiarity in some spots. I think that's good. Um, but we have plenty of other people that I've never worked with before that are different too. And I think that's all good. You know, we're, we're only as good as all the people in the room, not one. And so everyone's got good ideas to give. And um, there's still going to be a learning process. They got to learn me. I got to learn them in these new roles. And, but, but it certainly helps that, that I think we've got good continuity on the staff. Does that change some of the relationships, like being the OC and knowing these guys compared to being the head coach and knowing these guys? Yeah. Does it, does it make, is it a little weird, I guess, at some times where you're they like, don't ask the, me to go to lunch as much. Right, that's what I was going to ask. Like, is I'm it, not in the same group text I used to be in. Right. Um, so, no, I, personally, no. Um, obviously, I have to go do a lot of other things, and so I'm not in the offensive staff room that much right now, or I'm not doing this or doing that. And so, um, I don't know, it's... I don't, it's not weird. It is different. Yeah. Um, fortunately, so far they've uh, they've treated me okay, though. I'm curious. When's the last time you walked into a movie theater and watched a movie? It's funny you ask that because, like, on the list of like top three things in the world I like to do, that mm. would be one of them. Okay. So what? Like, but because with the I pandemic like just to and walk all in the there, sit down, stuff? whether it's my wife, myself, I don't care, and just literally zone out for a few hours. What's the order at the concession stand? I'm not big. I, you know, I'll tight. I like to eat and then go to the movie. Like okay. I actually like eat real okay. food. I like to sneak food in there because I can't afford I've it. I've never done that. Um, <laughs> my wife does that. It's all her. And so, um, no, we'll usually get, honestly, our, our, we would get a big Coke, mm. one with a straw, one without, because I don't use a straw. She does. So we okay. drink out of the same Coke, get big popcorn, whatever candy somehow found its way into the room, and that's it. The, you, you're not a straw guy? No, no. Fundamentally opposed. Okay. Well, I need more. I need more of this. Like, what? If I got like a tropical smoothie or something. What are you? What is it about the straw that you well, don't enjoy? There's a lot of reasons, but okay. I, the the best one I can give you here is I like ice. All right. All right. And the flavor of any drink is better coming out of the top. You take the straw out of the bottom, you get all the sugar, all the flavor, all the everything, and it doesn't balance well. So you know, that's, that's what I'm gonna say. That's not. Okay. All right. I had an answer. You did. You did. You convinced me. So, what's what else is on that top three list? Last, lastly, right? Like, what are what are like? If you're not coaching, and I know you got two sets of twins, so a free time is probably not a thing that you get a lot of. Like, where do you go to relax? What do you do to kind of check out and go, just kind of get some? Not, free time? not hang out with them to relax. <laughs> right. But um, no, I, I, I obviously like. I'm a social guy, so I like hanging out. I like hanging out with friends, with people. Like. You know, every now and then we'll get a date night with no kids. That's fantastic. But, you know, my wife and I would just assume go out with a couple other couples and have a good time or, or go out with a few other families. Uh, I like being with people. Like, it doesn't matter to me what we're doing as much that we're doing something. You know, I like playing golf. I like skiing. I like going to the lake. I like doing all those things. But um, there's not, like, one thing. It's just I like doing it with good people. So either hanging out with good friends or hanging out with my family. And every now and then it's nice to be able to hang out with your family and not have anything you have to do and um, just have one of those lazy days or whatever. Those don't happen very often, but um, other than that, I'm usually going pretty fast. And then, well, I did have one more written down here that I need to ask you before you go. What does a Rhett Lashley coach team look like, right? Like in your mind, what does SMU football look like in yeah. year one? What are some of the characteristics you want applied to your team? 
Yeah, it's a good question. We're going to find out, right, what it looks like. But, you know, I, I, I want us to, um, you know, we, we tell our guys really two things. We're not big on slogans and all that, but we want to play fast and physical. Football is a physical game, and it's a game that you need to play fast. Even if you don't believe in tempo like us, it's a fast-moving game. And so um, I would hope you'd come watch us play and you'd say, man, these guys play fast and they play physical. They're flying around hitting people. They're playing the game the right way, even games we may not come out on top. And we tell our players, really, there's, we, we, we say SMU is TDU. We're tough, we're disciplined, and we're united. And that's it. It's a tough game. So we want teams, when they wake up on Sunday, no matter the outcome of the game, to go, wow, you know, did you, those guys were flying around fast. Wow, they were physical. Hey, they were tough. You know, man, they were together. Like, they were, they were united. And I think if we do those things, you know, if you have discipline, you won't have a lot of penalties and you won't have as many busts and all those things. So it all works together. But um, that's what we're going to focus on. You know, I think if you can focus on too many things, you don't get any of it. Right. Uh, that's who we want to be. That's what we want our identity to be. And, and then all the other things will take care of itself. Um, you know, scoring points, stopping people, all that other stuff. All right, Coach. We, we appreciate it. Right. Uh, thanks for coming by. Pony up. Thanks again to Coach Lashley for coming into the studio. He really didn't have to do that, and he did that anyway. He was really eager to, and I, I really appreciated that because as, uh, as you've seen, you know, we'll do Zoom, I guess, but <laughs> but it's really, it, it is a different dynamic when they're in the studio introducing it it to everybody, and Craven gets to sit down and have a one-on-one, and it helped that you obviously talked to him before in person as well. So. Yeah, he's, he, he, was a, he was a fun interview. How about, could you imagine having two sets of twins? That's nuts. <sighs> That we we were talking about it before the show started, where yeah. like you'd go back to the OBGYN, right? right? And they'd be like, "Congratulations, you're having another set of twins," and you would think they were joking. There's no way, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, you know, you'd be like, "Ah, doc," you know, like that's funny. You know, that's that's real funny. I mean, right. what gets, what starts going through your mind when you find out you're about uh, to have four fear. kids? Yeah, I'll you're going from two to four. You think you, you th- well, however many years back, you're thinking two. Yeah, <laughs> and you have four. Yeah. <laughs> that oh. is nuts. That man. is absolutely nice. And that was such a man answer to be like, when right. he was like, uh, you know, after a few months, I was like, hey, well, you know, like, what? <laughs> it was. <laughs> like, what? A, why don't, you know, we can have it. You know, and his wife's like, no. <laughs> like, absolutely not. <laughs> it is such a dude answer. What's going to happen? Uh, we only yeah. six. Six children. <laughs> <laughs> Seven yeah. children. Yeah. Like, what else yeah. can happen? More. 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 More of those kids. So I've seen that Octomom show or whatever on, you know, <laughs> that TV should be or whatever. Fear. <laughs> yeah. Well, what did he, because he mentioned the, uh, because you mentioned the odds, right? right? And then he was like, "Well, if our odds are that good, like, or that that good, quote unquote good, like, what? Do you, I'm not going to test the luck no, again. Like, no. no, absolutely not." I do like how his mind went, like, "Well, what if it's triplets? You know, like he, yeah. he just like he kept just, adding, <laughs> you know, he kept adding to it. Uh, yeah. that's, just, that's really funny. But yeah. I love like we talked about earlier. I just like talking to these coaches about non-football stuff. Sure. Because you just get into things that I, I personally find really entertaining, mm-hmm. right? Like the idea of Miami's offensive coordinator coaching Little League Baseball in the spring because yes. it's a pandemic and he can't travel anywhere. That's hilarious to me. Yeah. Right? Like he's like about to get on some fourth graders like you know what. And he's like, ah, God, I can't do there. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Turner's going to kill me if I yell. You know? And it's I forgot like, he's that's nine. That's a hilarious <laughs> thing to do to be making like, you know, a million plus dollars calling plays and dealing right. with, you know, basically adults. Like, oh, this little child won't swing at a curveball, you know? <laughs> right. Well, and you could tell too when he was in here, he was telling us about how much he loves people. Like, in his free time, he sure. just wants to hang out with people. And so, right. I think in his mind, doing these types of interviews, that's what he's doing. He's yeah. just hanging out with us, you know, talking about his life. And I think that really just helps kind of in the offseason just kind of wind down, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point about that because, you know, especially now, 
and it's part of the charm of doing these interviews right now is because you know they obviously from from Christmas, honestly, from when he took the job through signing day, he's been on the road, right? He's been on the phone. He's talking football twenty four seven. Football twenty four seven to people from. 15 years old to 65 years old, right? Literally right. just like selling himself as the head coach, selling himself as somebody's potential future head coach, whatever. Hiring assistants. Hiring mm-hmm. assistants, right? Trying to pitch them on that. And so now, yeah, so now, and, and then in another week, couple weeks or so, it's going to be, all right, now we're actually getting to the grind. Preston Stone. Exactly. Yeah. Preston Stone yeah. and all this stuff, and here's yeah. all the blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, okay, well, that's why I do like the change of pace. I'm like, well, what are you doing in your spare, in your spare time? Right? Yeah. What was it like to coach? You get coached by, and they coach under Gus Malzahn, like we mentioned. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was some interesting stuff. And I remember when you mentioned that uh, when you first talked to him, you came back and mentioned that. And I never that never clicked with me that he coached uh, he was coached by, and then was coaching under Gus Malzahn. He was running a no huddle offense in, in eighth, eighth grade. grade. Right? Yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> like, that's a quarterback's dream. Yes, yeah. and like can, like eighth grade. So like that was before it even like took over college. Right. Like in like in 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 national college, like colleges weren't doing that yet because like Chip Kelly wasn't a thing at that point. Right. Um, even um, I can't think of the guy before Chip Kelly, but like it wasn't. It, that was like the revolution there, and it wasn't a thing. And so he's doing that. And it's nuts to me. I would have hated to have been that opposing. He was kind of on yeah. the front foot of that high school up to college thing, right? Where like true, we yeah. talk about this a lot now, where like high school trickles upwards, mm-hmm. and like you know Gus had so much success at the high school level. Right. It was like. Well, let's see if he can have success as an offensive coordinator in Arkansas. And then That's they true. had like their best year of my lifetime offensively. Yeah. And it was like, well, this, it's never going, your genie's never back in the bottle. Right, right. Right. Like yeah. this is just what it is now. Um, and now everybody's up tempo or at least has a little bit of that in their system. Right. Right. Like I remember uh, when I first saw like Dan Marino throw out of the shotgun on like second down. Yes. And it was like, like, what is that? You don't have to wait until third and 14. Right. To be in the shotgun. <laughs> right this right. is crazy to me. <laughs> that was kind of the same way when like I started seeing up tempo stuff. Cause like we've all played video games, right? Sure. You just hold yeah. down the square button and you ro- keep running <laughs> you keep it. Right. Going, yeah. You keep them in the same defense, but it's only stuff. like two minute drill stuff. Right. You know, it's yeah. only and when the, you're down. And it's only video games. You're getting cussed at by who you're playing. Like, that's not realistic. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And it was like, Oh, well, this is smart. Yeah. You know, it was like Leach when he started going for it on fourth and one from mm-hmm. like the 50. He was like, well, this makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you just you can't go backwards. And nowadays you just see all that stuff. Like I like if you want to see what the NFL is going to run in 10 years, go watch high school football. Yes. Because it's going to go that way. And you would think intuitively that it would go the opposite way. Sure. And it does not. It absolutely does not. And it's because of guys like Gus Malzahn who brought it from high school to college and it worked and it got rid of that stigma of like, oh, well, this works at your level, but it's not going to work at our level. No. Mm -hmm. The read option works everywhere. The RPO works everywhere. Up-tempo works everywhere. Shotgun runs works everywhere. And uh, it's just like another evolutionary step in in college football. And he was kind of a part of that and got to see that maybe better than anybody Mm -hmm. being, you know, a high school, you know, football, middle school football player for Gus Malzahn. Then at Arkansas with him, and then at GA afterwards. But I, I love his story about turning him down for the Tulsa job. Yes, mm-hmm. and just being like, "Well, that's the end of my college. <laughs> like, I'm never coaching I'm again." You know, like I hope this magazine thing works because <laughs> all, that's all I'm doing. Yep. Uh, one of the things he has one of the wildest resumes. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. ever because obviously we talk about the the GA stuff, but looking at his Wikipedia, it is a roller coaster. There are some spots where you're like. That should have been the end of his coaching career. Like, I'll, I'll show you. And I'll, I'll, I'll point to – well, you can probably be able to see it if I, once I name them off. So, Springdale High School, uh, Arkansas GA in, 20, in 2006, which, by the way, I did not know he was on that staff with uh, Darren McFadden, Peyton Hillis, and Felix Jones, which 
that was one of my favorite college teams ever. Yeah. I saw that. I saw that Cotton Bowl. Marcus Shavers. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that Cotton Bowl where they lost to Missouri. Um, that was a, one of my favorite teams ever. Um, GA with uh, Auburn, uh, 09, 2010. They won the national title with Cam Newton. I like that you asked me about Cam Newton, too. Randomly, OC at Samford from a GA. I love that yeah. he made that jump. Wild. 27. 27 years old, GA, after being a GA, right. being an OC. Right. He said he had never that's coached insane. a position yet. Yeah, that's nuts. Ah. Right. He's like, here's, here's the playbook, kid. Yeah. <laughs> or no, wait, where's the playbook? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like, Bring Gus's. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Uh, which is probably why they hired him. Um, 2012, Arkansas State OC, QB, QB coach. Auburn, back to Auburn, 2013, 20, uh, 2016, OC, QB, again, under Malzahn. 2017, OC at UConn. Jeez. Under Bob Diaco, which did not go well. <laughs> that is, it's a test to me. It is a testament to how good he is. That could be a career killer. How mm-hmm. personable he is. Yes. Too. Yes. Because immediately after that job, 20, uh, 2018, 2019, OC under Sonny Dykes at SMU. Yeah. Like to jump from UConn, which was not a good situation under Bob Diaco, um, and to get SMU, arguably a better job, like at the time, probably not a better job because yeah, SMU wasn't what we, you know, Chad Morris had them fine, but they weren't um, the program they are now. But somehow getting into a better situation and then going from there, hitting a, obviously hitting a stride, going to Miami and now the head coach at SMU, a while, like there are so many, like there are just so many detours where you're just like, mm-hmm. how do you get there? How do you get UConn? Like, you're just yeah. like, how do you get to UConn of all places? And then to SMU and then to Miami and back to SMU. So uh, just a wild, wild journey for him. And a lot of, I mean, up until that UConn job, it was, everything was Gus Malzahn except for that one year at Sanford. Very true. You know, like yeah. he just kind of like hooked his wagon yeah. up mm-hmm. to his high school coach and just Not followed it. Not you know? a bad and, idea. And that's, mm-hmm. that is the way to do it as a young coach. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, you find yourself a superstar and you just ride that up, yeah. you know, up and you become that guy's guy. Yeah. And then when somebody wants to hire Gus Malzahn, but they can't afford it, like UConn. <laughs> right, right. They're like, well, what's the next best thing? Yep. Well, Brett Lashley, 27. Mm-hmm. We can afford him. Yep. You know? Or Sanford. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sanford is like, well, we can't get him. Let's get there. Yep. There you go. And so uh, it's, it's a smart play. And I also thought it was interesting. I, I've always looked at those uh, air raid guys as yeah. like cultish. Yes. Yeah. So the idea of Sonny Dykes letting somebody else come in. That was nuts. And run their when, own when offense. He t- when he said that Sonny Dykes sti- let him have freedom, I was like, yeah. That's like, <laughs> in my head, I was like, you know? <laughs> like no way, you know, Absolutely but like um, it kind of does play with how Sonny is. Because yeah. I, I can Sonny doesn't seem like a micromanager at yeah. all. Right. Uh, and I can see how those dudes kind of got into the same room and kind of saw some similarities in themselves and wanted to, to coach with each other. Sure. But I just I found that fascinating, too. Like, you know, you're Mike Leach would have never done that. <sighs> right. Like right. Sonny Dex made that joke. Of like, yeah. <laughs> and so up. like the idea of Sonny and that's something that Red is eventually going to have to do, because this isn't something we got into in the interview. But he told me this, you know, he's going to call plays. Right. Mm-hmm. He's been a play caller. One of the reasons he got hired as the head coach at SMU is because he's a good play caller. He's going to call plays. But eventually, mm-hmm. he's going to transition out of that, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Most most coaches do. There's sure. the occasional coach that, like, that's just what they do. Like, I don't know if Sarkeesian will ever not call plays. Right. Uh, but I do think at some point he'll need to, like, take the Sonny Dykes role. And, like, when does that happen? As a, Like, when do you get comfortable? Because I'd imagine Sonny called his own plays for a while, too. Yeah. Like, when? how long does it take for you to get comfortable enough in your own skin to go, like, okay, now – somebody can take care of my baby. Mm-hmm. And that's where he's at right now. Like where you have a newborn and you don't let anybody babysit them. Yeah. You know, because this is my baby and you're not, but then by the time they're like four, it's like, please yeah, you're like, just please, do it take for them. me. Yeah. Please take them. And I'd imagine he gets to that point at some point where it's like, man, there's a lot being a head coach. And if I can take away offensive game planning out of this, 
my job's going to get a little bit easier. Right. But that takes a little bit of like, you kind of got to give up some control. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to do, especially early on in your career in any job. Uh, but football specifically, because you just like, you know, it's such an mm -hmm. ego thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm going to call my own plays and I'm, you know, I'm going to be responsible for the success. But I imagine at some point that becomes a bigger headache than it does. And that, that'll be up to him to kind of figure out how to surround yourself with guys like Rhett Lashley that you trust enough to, to call to call plays. Yeah, I was wondering because I, I, I could have sworn Sonny Dykes called plays at Cal. Yep. And so I wonder if it was like if whatever didn't work out there and it wasn't the offense that didn't work out there, um, but it was just like I need to change something. Right, and so he hired a guy who, because typically when, when a coordinator takes over, when an OC or a play caller takes over, they more or less hire like an understudy, right? Yeah. Somebody who can like manage what they're doing, but they're the play caller, obviously. With when he hired Rhett, that was surprising to me because as you as we mentioned, Rhett's a gut a Gus Malzahn guy, a different, not too different, but still very different. It's not uh, air raid, right? Exactly, not air raid, and. So to hire not only somebody who does not call the same stuff as you and then to give him also play calling, like that was a really interesting move. And I wonder that's going to be interesting to see how that impact, how if that impacts him as well, because like you mentioned, it is something that he might transition out of. And what is that? You know, if SMU continues to be pretty good, probably, you know, their their OC might get a higher call somewhere to be a play caller somewhere else. Does he change for that next OC or whatever happens if there's. If they don't maybe hit the same strides that they do, and he needs to bring in something different, does he decide? Okay, I'm not. I'm gonna make a different move, and you know, whatever, give up play calling. Um, I'm wondering if that, you know, Sonny Dykes showing that progression as an offensive mind kind of rubs off on him a little bit because, I mean, he also comes from. I mean, Gus Malzahn's always called plays. Yeah. Right. And so like he's one of those lifers. Exactly. He's like, one of the, he's, he's going to call his plays. Yes. And so like he's coached under two guys who have kind of had very very different careers in many different aspects. I'm wondering where it kind of rubs off on him for his head coaching uh, head coaching career. Yep. Um, so anyway, a little, bit of, a little bit of SMU, uh, a little bit of SMU talk. Heading into spring camp, uh, Craven, what is the biggest storyline for you for this team? Well, I think the biggest storyline going the offseason or like the thing that surprised me the most was they were able to keep Preston Stone around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I that quarterback room and Coach Lashley and I were talking a little bit about it as we were walking out of the door. Like, if you're going to take over a program, Having two dudes that can play quarterback like that is a nice luxury to yeah. have. Like they have, they have two really good quarterbacks. We haven't seen Preston as much at the college level, but at all of us who saw him in high school, like he's he's a special player. Mm -hmm. So keeping him in the program, I think, was big. Uh, they didn't have as many transfer outs as mm -hmm. I thought they would. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of thought there'd be like ten players mm -hmm. moving from Dallas to Fort Worth. Right, right. And there really has only been like one. Mm -hmm. And so. I do think that they've been able to kind of keep their guys in-house pretty good. So, for me, I think the offense is going to be fine. We've seen a Rhett Lashley offense at SMU be really good. They won 10 games a couple mm -hmm. of years ago. Uh, so, for me, it's going to be what does the defense look like? Because I think the hardest part of going from offensive coordinator to head coach is now you have to worry about everything. Yes. And, like, what does he want Spot his on, defensive yeah. philosophy to look like? How do you balance that out with being an up-tempo team that's going to get up and down and may go three and out pretty quickly every now and then and stuff like that? So to me, it's what are they going to do defensively? How is that going to be? And how quickly can everybody gel? Because that first year can get weird. We saw it with Texas this last year, right? Where that first year, it doesn't take much to get off the track. So you don't have that trust yet with the coaching staff to really believe what they're saying. And so how quickly – can he do? How quickly can he build that within the locker room? And does it help that he's already been in that locker 
Mm-hmm. I do think that kind of gives him a head start on year one that maybe he would. He was kind of the in-house hire, even though he mm-hmm. was at Miami. Right. And so how much does that continuity help him? It doesn't at all. And so uh, for me, we've seen SMU be really good the last few years. We've seen them keep going up and up and up and get better and better and better. Does that trajectory continue? And how do they look in spring? And does he continue to do well in the transfer portal with Dallas kids? Because he's going to have to do that. Mm -hmm. And it definitely helps that there's a familiar face there, right? Like uh, not everybody, not all the big players were there when he was there two years ago, but they probably recognize some of the players do recognize him. It's like, oh, that's why I'm kind of staying, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the guys that are there now were probably recruited by him, right? Even though they didn't play under him, they were probably recruited by him. And they were like, okay, this is somebody I can really get behind. And – the coaches around the Dallas area, which is why I, another reason I think this is a good hire, when that Dallas movement was starting, he was somebody that was going into the home, right? He was like, no, we're trying to change what the perception of SMU. And so having that guy back saying, hey, now I'm running the program. You saw how I was, how it was when I first got here. Trust me again. We're good to go. Um, I think it was it was very it was very telling that like the first big recruit that I remember them when they, when he committed and when they, when he signed was uh, Kevin Jennings from sock. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a pretty big statement from them to be like, we're not changing what we've done the past couple of years because it's worked. Right. We're going to still recruit Dallas kids from all over Dallas, not just certain areas. We're going to go I 20. We're going to go to these programs that have talented kids that go to big programs, but always don't typically look at SMU and we're going to go and we're going to say, no, you can stay home and win, a, win, win games for the city of Dallas if you stay here. Hiring Ke- uh, Keenan Hall yes. as the oh, running back coach so smart. Was, was genius. Yes. And I asked Keenan a week ago, I was like, because I, I find it fascinating, that because in my mind when I was a kid, there was SMU and then there was Dallas. Yes. Those two things Same. were separate. There was right. University right. Park and there was Dallas. Right. Mm-hmm. There's not, you know, it's like the Highland Park, Matt Stafford story, right? Sure. You know, like there does, it does feel like they didn't want to be a part of Dallas, mm-hmm. right? Keenan Hall said when he was a running back at South Oak Cliff, he never saw a SMU coach once at his school. Oh, yeah. None. And you flash forward 20 years, and now the quarterback of that school is going to SMU. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. That is, a, that is a huge deal. And it was a great, like you said, a great announcement from that staff of intention mm-hmm. of going like, we're going to recruit the best players here. We mm-hmm. don't have to leave here. I don't have to go to Houston. I don't have to go to Louisiana. I don't have to go to Arkansas. There's a state championship quarterback down the road that's being under-recruited. Let's bring him in. And – the more you especially a kid like that who's like magnetic yeah you know like he's going to bring more guys Mm -hmm. and they're going to bring more guys and they're going to bring more guys and that that's just how you do it right you just you just have to start that slope and they've they've picked up where uh sunny and the previous staff um have picked up and i I think it's great that the admin is all in on that idea of being dallas's team because that's what houston needs to do as well Mm -hmm. as they transfer transfer into fbs or into you know power five conference mm-hmm. where you, you just draw a fence around and you go like i can recruit here mm-hmm. uh jeff trailer's doing that at utsa I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like being able to like get that homegrown stuff not only does it help you get the next recruit i think it helps keep kids there mm-hmm. you're less likely to transfer after a year where you haven't played a lot like preston stone right if you're still at home yeah everything still feels familiar mom's up the road you can still go back to the house so you're not just like living in this dorm feeling like isolated Alone, and yeah. by yourself or whatever you're still at home and so you can, can, can convince kids to kind of stick through adversity and there's going to be adversity when you're 18 to 22 years old so the more that that roster can like look like dallas an actual dallas mm-hmm. not just highland park dallas the better it is i think for not the team now but also kind of continuing that recruiting yep. ability 
Uh, we'll leave it there. Last thing I did want to mention was I was admittedly skeptical that they would keep that recruiting strategy up. Um, and then I saw the first game they were at, the first game the SMU staff was at, high school game recruiting, was Sock versus Lucas yeah. Lovejoy. And I was like, okay. This, I, it convinced me at that point. I was like, this is, this is, this is, they're sticking with what, what, what works. Well, I don't know if this is behind the scenes story or not. Mm-hmm. I don't, but they went to that game. Yeah. And the offensive staff was like, where's that quarterback going? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, they were like, well, you know, like FCS. Right. And they were like, like, what? Not <laughs> anymore. <laughs> you know, like, like get me that kid. Like, <laughs> job number one is getting me yes. that kid. I will say, here. Yes. I, I will say, uh, sorry to, sorry to uh, Missouri State, who he was committed to, um, who, to their credit, was also at that game. So they were trying, <laughs> they were trying desperately to that hold on. That had to be <laughs> awful. Oh, <laughs> man. It was TCU was there. SMU, and they oh. had the one guy, probably the OC or something. Right. Credit to him. He made the trip down. But after watching that game, and there was a particular throw that he made, uh, Jennings made, I immediately sent like three texts to people I knew in other programs. I was like, get this kid here. Like, wherever you're working, get this kid. Because th- he's under-recruited right now. I, that that feeling's got to be so big. Like, when you're a small school like oh, that, know, and like you see a big fish coming around, like it's like, man, we did so well for it's like eight what months. What do you do? Since Sock yeah, had to keep winning. Can't... Like, yeah. if Sock doesn't go to state, he probably goes to right. Missouri State. But right. now it's like, oh, they beat Alito. Oh, they beat Lovejoy. Oh, they're one state. Now it's like, <laughs> higher profile, man. And a new staff coming in. And a new staff coming in. You so. just can't beat that. You can't. Can't beat yeah. it. So, anyway, uh, more Kevin Jennings going to SMU. That's all I. That's all I gotta say about that. So nope. uh, we'll leave it there for this week. It's a long episode, but you know, why not? It's we worth like it. To talk. We like to talk. Uh, we had some. We had a great guest in today too. So again, thank you to Coach Lashley for stepping stopping by the studio. Um, if you would love to hear more stuff like that, support us. Give us a bigger platform. Rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, subscribe at TexasFootball.com if you're not already. Uh, all that stuff. Mike Craven gets a nice uh, bonus check. He doesn't. But uh, for <laughs> if you subscribe on TexasFootball.com. So I might. You may. <laughs> that's true. You might. I don't know. Um, so there you go. If you want to uh, make sure Mike can feed his kids uh, or dog. Um, Taco. <laughs> make sure. Make Taco sure needs to eat. You <laughs> click on all of his stories and give him that good, good traffic that we always go over in those weekly meetings. So. Uh, We will leave it there for this week. Thank you guys again, and we will talk to you guys next time.